You know, it's, it's, it's sometimes a, there is a challenge and this is true no matter the geography, but, but perhaps there are some different aspects of it that when you're living internationally and when you are all in, you believe in the cause that you're working, you believe that what you're doing makes a difference. You believe and you see results all around you. And, and that can tend to fuel people that are driven or kind of oriented towards a service personality it can cause you to be so externally focused that you can miss out on the great gift and uh, that it is to, to not just have, have an externally facing job of serving others and to miss out on the great gift and calling of having that same heart of service to be focused on the people that are underneath your same roof. Okay, let's do this. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love or work. Is anyone listening? No, don't put that on the air. These two people are really, really funny. This one made me cry. World Series champion. Around the entire world. NBA All-Star. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. Love or work. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are on a two-year adventure of asking the question, is it possible for both of us to be living out our purpose, staying in love, and raising a healthy family? It's a huge question with many opinions. Yes. So along this journey of learning, we have decided to uh, interview a sex therapist coming up soon. Oh, because that has to do with love and work and all that? All the things. Sex is... Very, very important, well, isn't as it, you know, Isn't Jeffrey, it classic that you bring this up on the podcast? As we all know that you are always the one to bring this up. Oh, but we're not going to point fingers on the podcast, are we? <laughs> so, you guys, if you want to ask our sex therapist... And you do, and let's be honest, everyone has a question. <laughs> an anonymous question about anything related to sex. Uh, we would love to hear from you. And we want you to go to our website, loverwork.com, and click the link. Uh, well, there's a banner at the top that you click on. What's funny is I'm going to go on there and ask some anonymous questions. <laughs> so if all You're the questions ridiculous. are by me, but nobody knows who they are, are they still anonymous? Jeff, it's not anonymous, especially because we're going to be asking them too. So then the other thing is go to Instagram, and you can also link in our bio from there. But they are anonymous. We would love to hear from you. We want this to be helpful. We want to learn, and we hope you'll learn too. What's going to be really funny is when I'm asking her these questions, I'm going to say, there's an, a, a quote, anonymous question <laughs> that wants to know. Which is means Jeff Schoenberger. All right. So today, though. Hang on. On the podcast, you always say my first and last name together. There's no other place in the world where you call me by Jeff Schoenberger. <laughs> But only on the podcast you go, Jeff Schoenberg. Like I think it's like focus. Like, you know, when you say the two names of your kids, like with middle, you know. Yeah, my mom. It's like Jeffrey focus. Duane. Yeah. Yes. It's like focus. Listen. Let's get on track. So I think I kind of do the same thing for you. You never refer to me as my full name in all of life. It's except true. when you're talking into that microphone. Again. Schenenberger, let's focus. Here we go. So today we have an amazing interview with our friends Peter and Laurel Greer. Uh, Peter is a, the CEO of Hope International, and he has written nine books. I don't, I can't even go through all the names because there's too many books. Yeah, and they're all really good. He has a really an angle. A lot of his books are specifically geared towards nonprofit leaders, 
that need advice in leading the organization. So he has some really practical books that can help. If you lead a nonprofit, I would highly recommend many of his books. Peter's been a great friend for years. Yes. And I, I've always loved, Peter and I always run into each other at um, different events we're at. And for some reason, we've always had a real connection with one another, like just as a friendship. And we instantly talk about real stuff. And yeah, yeah. so I, I really they am have thankful such we got to depth hear from him. And such wisdom that today's interview is amazing. So what should we be listening for, well, Jeffrey? They have been all over the world, uh, but they started as an arranged marriage. Which is crazy. And and it was kind of loosely arranged. I don't know if it was really arranged. But it kind of it kind of instigates the thinking for the podcast. So that's why I just ran with it. Okay. Moving on. Uh, the second thing is this idea Peter shared of a resignation letter. I don't want to tell you all about it, but he wrote a resignation letter and he was willing to use it for the sake of his family. Yeah. We'll get to it later. And the next one? The last thing for me, he said a quote. Um, that I'll never forget, that 80% of spouses resent the the organizations that their partners work for. And um, I thought that was just really interesting, like especially in the nonprofit world, if you're on mission and your partner is resenting the organization that that mission is on, wow, that's right at the heart of what this entire project, this entire is, about. project is about. So, exactly. Um, they're awesome. Can't wait for you to hear from them, learn from them, because we really learned from them. And um, yeah, let's so do it. So here we go. Peter and Laurel Greer. Um, so initially, well, we have an arranged marriage. What? <laughs> so we started out, I was working at an um, overnight camp for kids in, the, in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. Um, in 1996, I think something like that. Anyway, I met this amazing older woman who was there so that her kids could go to the camp. Um, she'd always worked there and then her kids were then teens and worked on staff and she just didn't want to stop. She ended up loving it so much. Uh, she became a spiritual mentor to me right away. Um, we took some teens on hiking trips and, um, she ended up being Peter's mom and I didn't know Peter existed. He was out of co or in college working, you know, whatever. And, um, I guess she had come home to him and he was in a relationship and, uh, he walked in the kitchen, I guess. And her first thing, I mean, I wasn't there. So do you want to, yeah, she said, Peter, I met your future wife. And this was so out of character for my mom to say anything like that, but she saw this amazing person and, uh, she made that, that statement. And then, uh, we did meet that summer just briefly and then we overlapped at college a little bit, but, but then I went off, I started my career in microenterprise development and microfinance in Cambodia. And then I'm living in Rwanda and I had not heard the name of Laurel for several years, but then my sister said that she was just with Laurel and Laurel had an interest in working internationally somewhere in East Africa as a teacher. And I remembered Laurel. Uh, she made quite an impression, uh, even during our few times together. And so I sent her an email, tried not to be creepy, tried to just be very helpful and said, you know, I have connections in Rwanda and uh, Kenya and Uganda. And if I could be of any help trying to get you a job, I'd be, I'd be happy to do so because I heard you're interested in teaching. And uh, I got an email back from Laurel saying that that would be very helpful. And I did not look in Kenya. I did not look in Uganda. I looked <laughs> in roles within a five-mile radius of where I was in Rwanda, 
And we believe God opened up all the doors. She got a teaching role at Green Hills Academy, moved there, picked her up um, in Uganda. Our first uh, day in her first day in Africa, we went rafting down the Nile River, kind of our first date. And and uh, that's an amazing first date right there. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. And then we're engaged a couple months later. And oh, married. I love that he says a couple months. It was what? like August. It was August to October 3rd. We that's, got engaged. That's a couple months. And then yeah. we were married yeah. December 30th of that same yeah. year. Oh Back my I, goodness. I had been engaged before. Oh. And one of those things, I don't know if you have friends who have been through similar paths, but um, I think after going through a, a very serious relationship and, and calling it off, and then to me, it was now I felt like I was on this feminist, like I can, I don't need to rely on anyone. I'm going to go teach where I have no community and just learn, like just really learn from the people I'm around and grow. And it was kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't need anybody. And then here's this incredible human who I definitely had watched Peter for years. I loved, I had never seen a man live like, like him. Um, just, I would, I would watch him, um, hanging out with someone who was cleaning a room who was hired by the college because we overlapped one year at college. I would watch him just as easily, you know, speak in front of the entire student body or lead a business group. Um, and he was the same person all the time. And the humility, I just hadn't seen a man with that type of humility and integrity. And he's hilarious. Um, and just always seemed to have this smile on his face, like he so readily does all the time. But Anyway, so I think it was just that we, we, our friend, my friends made a lot of fun of me when we were cyber dating back in, you know, when you had, could uh, email back and forth, but we did, we, we have a huge, a thick notebook of all the emails um, back oh, and that's forth. Awesome. I was living um, here and teaching he, in Rwanda and just hearing about his life and how he interpreted um, just different experiences and I mean, a lot of them are funny. You, yeah. Anyway, it was just, it was a really growing experience. We both enjoy writing. So it was just this beautiful way of getting to know each other. And then, yeah, um, I, I went over and it was just, it was one of those things that was like, life is so short. And I think being surrounded by, at that time it was post-genocide and surrounded by uh, a lot of grief and, and brevity of life. It just made it seem like, why the heck would we wait? <laughs> you know, we can we've got the commitment. We both knew we had, we would have the commitment and then date later. <laughs> now you've been married. How long and how many children do you have? Uh, 18 years. And right now we have four children. And you guys have adopted. Is that right? Uh, yes. Our son, Miles, um, was adopted from Rwanda. Um, and now he's 10. He was adopted as an infant and we have a daughter. Um, can't, we can't, we'll call her sunshine. Um, uh, through foster care and then a 13 and a 14 year old biological children. And so were you in Rwanda and the whole adoption happened while you were living there and there, or did you do the whole, you were back in the States? Yeah. So Rwanda was closed for adoption. Um, when we were living there also, we were really, I mean, I was, I was really young, <laughs> um, like 23 when we got when 23 and 25. Um, and so, no, it was, it was later on that it was just this crazy mix of um, events that opened the door back up and just made it really clear that that was what we were. That's a whole other topic, international. Mm. And, I know, I know. Yeah, anyway, anyway, but um, yeah. <laughs> so if you guys were, if you were sitting with someone that is newly married, 
um, what would be some of the first pieces of advice you would give them? Like that you've learned over the, this wasn't in the agenda, was it? We never ask questions that are on the agenda. I yeah. hope you guys are ready for that. <laughs> you looked at each other like, they didn't give us that plan. Yeah, I'm curious what, if you were sitting down with a couple that is kind of just getting started in, in marriage and family, what advice would you give them that you've learned over these years? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, and it relates to what we were just talking about, was when we were living in Rwanda, Laurel had this such a clear heart for justice, heart for kids, and, and it was beautiful. And I think for some years of our marriage, Laurel was so engaged in supporting the work that I was doing, so supportive of that. And, and I don't think early in our marriage, I did everything possible to see and celebrate the unique gifts that, that she had. And I think that is one of the early lessons in marriage. The, the sooner you can, you can be someone to see and to call out and to celebrate the gifts and abilities of the other uh, person, I think the better off you are going to be. And our journey in foster care in particular has been one of the greatest adventures we have ever had in our life and one of the most difficult mm-hmm. journeys we've ever had. I think for the early on to see and to celebrate the gifts, unique gifts of the other. And then I think relatedly, uh, early on, I think um, the idea of trying to change your spouse uh, was an exercise in um, actual not loving the other person. And so I think about how uh, different I would be uh, if early on I had uh, known that my greatest job is is simply to love Laurel. Um, think of the conflicts, the unnecessary conflicts or issues that would have been just so, um, yeah, just avoided if by realizing my job is to, to celebrate. My job is to love. My job is to encourage um, and, and not to try to change or, or find areas uh, of that. So I think about those things and then kind of the practical things of just always remember we're on the same team. And how many arguments look differently if you go in with the end result of saying, right. you know what, we're on the same team. We're right. going to have this disagreement, but ultimately our goals are the same. We are on the same team. And how many, uh, yeah, conversations that would have shifted as mm-hmm. well. I think Peter's always been a really good listener, and he has been the one who's always championed. We're on the same team, and I think, I think we would have been off to a much better start. I mean, we were transplants in Rwanda and had no network, and we developed, we grew to have an incredible community that we still maintain to this day. But we didn't have our our normal support systems and had to be each other's. And we are extremely different people. And that was like crash course in marriage. I truly feel like our first three years of marriage was like 10 into three years because we were, you know, working in a refugee camp and responding to crises and going to so many funerals. And I mean, just navigating territory that most couples, I think, don't experience it. And, you know, it's a lifetime. Um, and that was really, really hard and really, really good, um, to go through pain, um, together. But anyway, I think I would have been a better spouse early on if I could have seen us definitely as a unified team and also to accept that Peter loves me unconditionally. I don't think that's something that I, until maybe even to be honest with you, like seven years ago, really believed that we, that I am unconditionally loved. Um, 
yeah, I don't know if that's due to baggage or whatever, but I just, I, I know this man is with me for life. And that acknowledgement, which took me, you know, 10 years maybe to really truly believe has given me such security and mm-hmm. in our, in our marriage. So I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, no. One thing that we've found out actually through our podcast is we have a lot of expats listening to us. Okay. And yeah. which I think is really great. And I think a lot of people living internationally have um, just, re- I think, really feel this tension between love and work, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. when you're out of, like you said, without a support system. Um, also, a lot of times work gets really kind of engulfed in the whole life, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, it. It's like consuming it consumes all of, it. Kind all of, of everything. mission. You're overseas for a reason. Kind and, of. you know, whether the spouse is either on the same team together or whether one is doing it and the other one kind of goes with the spouse. What what is some advice? What is something that you could say to those people internationally that are in what you have lived, actually, mm-hmm. and are kind of struggling in that in that space? Mm-hmm. I think car- making sure to carve out time, just the two of them. Um, things that give them life for us right now in our old age, it's taking walks <laughs> together with our dogs and we, we conquer the world in those walks. I mean, I come back from those feeling like that and sex, I'm, I'm good in marriage. Like, <laughs> good. Um, and I love, it. I think, especially in an international context, um, I think first of all, understanding your personality and your spouse's personality in a deeper way. I wish that the Enneagram had existed when we lived in Rwanda, just oh to understand. Oh my goodness. I know. Yes. And like just the whole understanding of, I mean, introvert, extrovert. We talk a lot about that kind of stuff. I love people, but I am an introvert. And I did not know that when I was in my mid twenties, I thought I was an extrovert. I've always been busy and inviting people in and wanting to be engaged with people, you know, in, in projects and but it's exhausting. Um, talk is exhausting. Peter's awesome at small talk. I cannot do it. I find it paralyzing. I find it draining. I hate the phone. I, he is, we are very opposite in that way. And so just to find time for him to feel built, not built up. That's the wrong word. Build up. (laughs) What's the Christianese for (laughs) whatever. Um, and then just having that time. So I guess I would just say trying to find space on, on a regular basis for those international couples, um, when it's quiet and it's just the two of you and you can really listen to each other. What do you say, Peter? You know, it's, it's, it's sometimes, uh, there is a challenge and this is true no matter the geography, but, but perhaps there are some different aspects of it that when you're living internationally and when you are all in, you believe in the cause that you're working, you believe that what you're doing makes a difference. You believe and you see results all around you. And, and that can tend to fuel people that are driven or kind of oriented towards a service personality. It can cause you to be so externally focused that you can miss out on the great gift and uh, that it is to, to not just have, have an externally facing job of serving others and to miss out on the great gift and calling of having that same heart of service to be focused on the people that are underneath your same roof. Mm-hmm. And I think that early on in our marriage, I was committed to doing everything possible to grow a thriving organization with a great mission, helping alleviate global poverty uh, around the world. And I missed out on the even greater calling 
of loving and serving with Laurel uh, and, and being a dad and a husband and getting my identity more in the work that I was doing as opposed to in the relationships that matter more. And so that shift from a focus of external service and mission and identity to actually celebrating uh, who I am. And even today, I, I, I want, if you know, I'm ever at an event or speaking, I, I always want to make sure uh, husband and dad are included in that. Not the resume, not the title, not the things, but I want to make sure that that is seen. That is a higher calling for me than any of the professional work that I do. And seeing that and celebrating that, especially in an expatriate context, I think is really, really critical. Mm. That's really good. Peter, you mentioned earlier um, this idea of of a learning curve that you've gone through in marriage of starting to celebrate the purpose of your uh, of Laurel, right? And I mean, just on Tuesday night, I was talking with a couple, um, you actually weren't with me at that moment, but someone that was wrestling through that where he sees so much potential in her and she didn't even see it in herself, but yet she's like, I do have these dreams. And I, I feel like that's a real tension of people in listening to this and in our community. Um, I, I guess maybe the question's for Laurel. Like, how, how do you begin to change that mentality? Um, like, you guys probably went through a process, I'm sure, in some way of whether that's you voicing your purpose and him understanding uh-huh. or him, you know, I don't know what it is. But what, how would you walk someone through that tension if you were sitting with someone that, that was wrestling through that today? Um, without completely breaking down, because <laughs> that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, we would, I guess I, I could maybe answer in a story. Just um, seven years into marriage, we had three kids, newly had a third by adoption. And I, he, was in, he was writing books and going on a book tour, which I hated the phrase book tour at that time. I felt like we're traveling enough and then we've got a book tour on top of that. And then I started a 501c3 with good friends of mine. I mean, it was just like this collision of all of these passions and we completely were missing. We were like ships, like just, I mean, fine. Everyone else would have thought everything was great, but there was just no depth um, and slow more without us even knowing over a couple months um, realized that apathy had crept in and just there wasn't this need. Um, I had, I, I really felt this just unsettledness in my spirit of not, I just realized I didn't need Peter. I had grown to have, I have an incredible group of girlfriends, sister wives, and I learned that they were providing all of my emotional needs. They were who I would call to process through things. They were who I would, yeah, it just, and I wasn't doing that with Peter because he was traveling or I was traveling or we were both so focused on that. And I think just having that, come to Jesus moment where, I mean, I just said to him, I, I am apathetic right now and I hate it. And it was just kind of rebuilding, having a lot of eye contact. I do think that there's something physiological about having that eye contact together and kind of just, yeah, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that question. How do you, how do you do that? How do you see the passions in the other? And Peter, what was your transformation? Cause I think there's, um, I think men, uh, you know, like how you said, how you started, right? You were just really focused on your business, really focused on this amazing work you were doing and saying that you were kind of missing out like the family and the home aspect. So 
how did that transition, you know, change and shift to realize like, oh, she has these amazing gifts that I also need to be looking at and, and uplifting. I think there were several different pieces and I would be the first to admit that we're still looking at this. And I think there are other chapters of our relationship, especially as the kids grow and as they are launched. And uh, there are so many other uh, gifts and and passions that Laurel has that I can't wait uh, to be the biggest fan and cheerleader uh, for her in those other chapters as well. But I think a couple key moments, one was what Laurel referenced of hearing the person that you have said, I choose you to love and cherish above all else. To hear that person say, I feel like I'm getting leftovers. I feel that work is getting your best and there's nothing left. And the result is, I just don't feel anything for you anymore. That was a turning moment uh, for me to realize, what am I doing? How have I how have I not honored in a very significant way, actually the marriage vow of saying to love and cherish above all else. I always thought that that was about other people. I never thought that that also could include the work that we do. And so when we made that commitment, it was to love and cherish above all else. And that includes above my work. It includes above the mistress of, of believing in this organization that I still believe in, uh, but getting that out of the right order. And that was a significant turning moment. And then some of the practical things of limiting travel, of making sure that there is a structure of how many nights I'm away and getting very serious about uh, that. And, and you know, this, this wasn't as big a deal for Laurel as it was for me, but actually writing my resignation letter and saying, Laurel, if you ever feel that I am not the husband uh, that, that, that I want to be, uh, that our family needs me to be, I will walk away from this job that I really do like to be with you because I love you more. I choose you. And it's just not a competition between the work and this relationship that is so much more important to me. And so that, that getting my head on, yeah. uh, on that was a key turning point. And then I think the second uh, piece was actually having eyes to see that as, as I, I think about scale, I think about leverage, I think about systems, I think about impact. I think about how we can have the greatest impact on the most number of people at the lowest cost around the world. And, <laughs> and I am animated by that. It's and so I, sexy. Uh, and I can so sexy. Uh, and just so that. small, just such yeah. a small goal. Just so. <laughs> but it's, it's so interesting because uh, Laurel is wired. There is no one that I've ever met who is a better friend. There is no one that I've met who loves more deeply. There is no one that I've ever met that shows me what it looks like uh, to roll up your sleeves and to love on a one-on-one basis as Laurel. And again, this whole journey that we've been on of figuring out what does it look like to be a home that welcomes the refugees. Uh, that was that was it. I, my life is better because I have learned from Laurel what that looks like. Foster care, as we said, has been so crazy hard. And yet I think it might be the most significant thing we've ever done. And so having eyes to see that these are complementary viewpoints. Great to think about mm-hmm. scale, great to think. But it also, yeah. if you do that and you have not love in the day-to-day interactions, if, if you're serving around the world and yet don't have the ability to love your neighbors, the ones that are right next door, if you have this idea to build an organization and yet miss out on people, you are missing it completely. 
And so I think over time to have eyes to see and appreciate and the incredible way that Laurel is is unique to see the way that Laurel loves deeply. And uh, there is no one in my life that has had anywhere close to the impact on me as Laurel in teaching me what it looks like to love deeply. I'm all teary-eyed. You ask the next question. Okay, I'm going to do a couple little logistical <laughs> follow-up questions to what you just said. Because you, you hit on some things that I think, I mean, I've had these conversations with people that haven't had this conversation. Literally, nights away. You guys quantify that, right? Like you had to figure out a number that you were reasonable. Yeah. Re- how, did how, did, how did you figure that number out? And what is that number for your family? Yeah, a group of people, actually. I'm on, on the kind of the committee of approving dates um, for how many nights away a month. Um, so that helps. I think we decided on give or take seven, eight nights, right? And then also we started sending kids. like oh, one at with, a t- with Peter when he's gone. a huge part of what we've kind of decided in parenting moving forward. So we, we're really trying. It's hard, but trying to do one-on-ones. Um, so that adds into the travel, but yeah. So what I hear you say is you put kind of a committee around the requests Mm -hmm. or the travel so that it took it off of Peter making that individual decision, I'm sure. And 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 our friends are great too with keeping us accountable with that too. And yeah. And so it's, this is where the system comes in. If you don't have a system, if you don't, you're going to say yes to every good opportunity and you're going to miss out that you're saying no to even better opportunities, which are the opportunities that are closest to home. So before it was 110 nights that I was traveling and that was too many on that. So we had that as we know that's too many. Uh, right now it is 75 nights annually um, and it is no more than seven nights away uh, from home on a monthly basis. And this is not just for me. We created this for all of Hope International. Uh, we want people to not just do international development and ministry around the world. We want our people that are closest to us to be the biggest fans. I saw a statistic that said 80% of spouses for individuals that are involved in this type of service, that they resent the organization. And I said, that's not okay to have that level of resentment. So 75 nights a year, and then uh, making sure that there's a 24-hour waiting period, that I don't say yes or no to any opportunity without waiting 24 hours. And then the third piece, and this might be a little bit where the asterisk comes in, is that it doesn't count as a night away if Laurel or one of the kids are with me. So there have been a couple opportunities <laughs> that I'm out and out. And so I go to the kids and say, who wants to go with daddy? Because I'm out of night. So I've got nothing else. It actually creates a wonderful incentive to have these great activities. Last week, I was in Charlotte just for a night and my son got to go with me and involving him. You know, he's 14. He was in these meetings and it was great. And then having a little extra time to go and have some adventure on the scooters in downtown Charlotte and just having a great kind of father-son experience. So creating those systems and structures that are designed to save you from yourself, because if you don't have them in place, you're going to say yes, 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 without realizing what you're saying. No, no, no to. Yeah. I think that the really important one was he, he referenced the 24-hour period. We call those buffer days because he, we used to come back together, have like a, a breakfast or, and then run and then go go back and you know keep going and not have that like sit down, listen to each other. What did we miss? Like we were missing a lot mm-hmm. um, and kind of recapping that. Also, it sounds really silly, but I don't know if you guys have the Voxer app, but we it's do. the... Yes, there's something so different about hearing each other um, as opposed to texting. I... I I, it just is so, it's so nice to hear 
tone. And um, anyway, so that, that, that helped a lot with the trips. He used to leave and we just wouldn't communicate. Like it would just be, it was almost like cell phones didn't exist in our marriage for a while because we weren't, we were just like, we were off. It was like, we just turned the switch and then he'd come home and whatever. So that's changed a lot too. I feel like he's thinking about me when he's away or vice versa. Like I'll just be like, Hey, I want to fill you in on what happened with, you know, so-and-so today. What would you do with this? And keeping him in the loop, needing his feedback instead of me calling up one of the sister wives. So I love sister wives. I do too. I have many of those. Yes. So you two are similar to us. Okay. I don't know how I would. You mean in terms of their differing personalities? Yeah. There's some beautiful similarities. What are your Enneagram numbers? I'm already guessing them in my head, but what are they? Yeah, I, I think I'm a two with a one wing. I thought I was a two with a three wing, but Peter told me I'm a two with a one wing. And I'm three with a two wing. Uh, we're, we're, I'm an eight and she's a one. So we're like the t- two of the strongest oh, personalities. Yes. Do you guys follow We're any? danger. We're yeah. just danger. Fire That's and ice. Yes. But I do say, like you guys were, we were sharing earlier, you said you got these coffee mugs people gave you that kind of yeah. explain a little bit about your personalities. How, um, how have you guys worked through this kind of contrast in personalities as a couple? Um, I am, yeah, I am so thankful for Peter in my life, just kind of grounding me. I, one of my Rwandan friends, when we lived there early married, she said, you know, Peter tames you, right? And I, <laughs> a compliment because it's true. Is that possible? I, I can't tame Andre. I'll be, is that, Peter, is that <laughs> actually like hearing that kind of almost makes me be like, right. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, me too. You will me never too. tame me. <laughs> but it's, he's really good about just helping me see perspective. I think I can be very quick and justice minded and have a very, you know, know that we can't uh, you know, and just, he will, he is so good about looking on the fringes and, and talking about different perspectives, helping me see things from different angles, different filters, putting on different glasses. Um, that is really, really helpful. I think it ties to what we were talking about just a little bit before about the ability to see and to celebrate the unique way that God wired your spouse, as opposed to over time, I'm going to change them. Mm. Time, I'm going to let them see that, I mean, I'm actually right. Uh, <laughs> that is the most futile exercise you can possibly do in marriage to have it as your secret agenda to try and change the other one. And I think about Don and Kim, and they were going through a really rough time. And Kim has this dramatic uh, moment where she realized, she believes that it was a message from God that at that moment that she was given these three words, just love him. And that was the end. There was no commas. There was no additional phrases. The mission that she was given was to just love him. And I think about for all of us, I think that is our greatest calling and mission in the gift of marriage is to just love the other person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask about foster care. I mean, it's I think there's a lot of fears people have around it, I think, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, probably one of the biggest needs that our nation is facing today mm-hmm. and s- such a broken system that needs help and restoration and ways to be a part of it. And what what is your kind of 
feel on that? And what do you think? And what's your, how are you processing through this? Yeah. I mean, these kids didn't, these kids were handed this. I think that's the thing when we're, when we're focused on the kids, um, why wouldn't you? When it's done, how hard it is, it's, there's fear, of course. Um, but it's, it's all about the kids, right? I mean, that's what people oftentimes will be like, how can you do that? You know, you have to let them go. Well, yeah, but it's not about us. And honestly, if we are in pain when they leave, that means we have freaking done our job. Like they have, we have helped them attach. That is the biggest thing that these kids need is that attachment. Yeah. I think about kind of the, uh, one of the times when I was making an argument to the family of why we shouldn't do this. Oh, yeah, and this I was making several, what I thought were pretty convincing arguments. I was talking about a pie chart and here's our bill <laughs> time. And the more kids that come in, that means less time for all of you. Less pie for you. We right. were showing them like, look, if, there are, if we take these three kids in, that's this much for each of you. And our daughter said, dad, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Look at from the perspective of the kid and in the situation that we were considering, look at how, how, how much more they would have if they were in our home of getting it. So don't think about less, look at it from their perspective. And that was pretty compelling. About staying with their siblings. You know, that, that was a big, we kind of went into this thinking, I think we could add one, you know, right. Hmm. So your kids convinced you to keep oh, the A lot of parents think their greatest role is to protect their kids. You're shaking your head no. Explain, what's your response to that? I, I think of the quote from Brian Stevenson, which essentially says, if you're going to do the dangerous work of loving others, it's going to hurt. And I think it is a higher calling to teach your kids how to love than how to be safe. Hmm. And that is what I want to focus on. How do we teach? How do we train? How do we equip? How do we invite our kids into the dangerous but beautiful work of loving others as opposed to staying safe and having a protected life? So at age 10, though, at age 10 or age 9, or the, you know, you, you have kids coming in that are coming and going, right? Mm-hmm. And there's hurt that you two have felt, which I, I wrote down even what you were saying, like, if we've done our job and it hurts, or if, if it hurts when they leave, then we've done our job. Like, Right. right. As an adult, we can say that. Right. But as how do you process that with your kids? Because it's probably really sad for them. Right. Right. It is sad for them. But I think they also I know they see the benefit of relationship. Um, And I think more than anything, Peter and I in raising these kids, it's we don't care about the grades as much. We want them to do their best. We want them to, of course, be kind. And I maybe even more than anything, we want them to be allies. Um, we want them to lift others up. We want them to look in the margins and see who they can bring in and empower. And maybe sometimes it means stepping aside and giving them the spot. And that, I think, more than anything, we're seeing that at home of the kids understanding context and story um, and asking the questions. Like, oh my goodness, to see our 13-year-old a few weeks ago, hear something and take a moment to process where this information coming from, who, from whose mouth is, am I hearing this from and, and deconstructing that? I mean, that is, that's, we, I hope that that's a world changer right there. Um, and I think I see that in foster care, just the kids really learning. I mean, this is, it, it has only been positive for our kids, even the pain, hmm. um, because they have been able to put on someone else's shoes for a time. Hmm. Okay. I have a totally different question. I have a totally different yeah. question, different whole realm. 
Uh, Peter, you work with entrepreneurs all over the world. How wait? How many? How many people are have started businesses through Hope? Uh, currently, we're working with nine hundred fifty thousand. Nine hundred fifty thousand, and how many of them are women? Just want to say, uh, damn, it, that is crazy. <laughs> Oh eighty, it, it, it fluctuates a little bit, but uh, at least eighty percent. Typically, between eighty and eighty-five percent. Eighty to eighty-five percent are women of those nine hundred and fifty thousand entrepreneurs. Look at you, feminist Woo-hoo! women empowerment. Yes, yeah. I, I, Hope International, the feminist organization. Right? Let's put that, that out there, Peter. <laughs> I love it. Let's put it out there. I'm making him feel a little uncomfortable. But New okay. tagline. New tagline. But I think that's a really interesting perspective on this topic of love and work, to think about it through the lens of women, moms, entrepreneurs all over the world. Like, give your perspective on that and how you see the, the role of work, especially for women, in the developing world. I don't know how long our podcast we is. Could go all day. A lot. To, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think about my... Uh, when uh, was able to go to Rwanda with the entire family and got to meet one of the entrepreneurs and her name was Severa. And what I loved about Severa's story is, yes, she's an entrepreneur. Yes, she's had business success. But one of the things that she did with her business success was bring in eight orphans from her community and uh, welcome them into her home. And based on our interests in foster care and adoption, one or two or three kids has has stretched our family. And here's Samara <laughs> kids on top of all the other things that she has going on. And I have seen the courage of women around the world. I have seen the heart of women around the world, not just to be entrepreneurs, but I get even more excited when I see how they are investing into their family and how they're investing into their community. And so I have nothing but appreciation, nothing but respect uh, for the, the the women entrepreneurs that we serve around the world. And, you know, I also, we, we serve everyone. It's, it's, we don't uh, discriminate. We, we serve everyone regardless of, of uh, gender as well. And so we do serve, you know, 20% of, so almost 200,000 men as well. So we serve anyone who comes and I celebrate uh, their stories as well, but there's something special. There really is something unique about uh, women that oftentimes are left at home. But Peter, do you think that's the difference? So I, I heard you say about how women invest in more. In, it seems like they invest more back into the families and community as well versus just focusing on the business. Is, is that kind of what you see the difference a little bit between maybe um, the men and the women internationally? Do you see men more kind of focusing on the business to provide and then, you know, women more kind of in that, is that kind of the difference or, or what's the difference in this ringing so true for women since it's 80%? Right. I mean, there have certainly been a lot of studies that have shown that, that uh, women are more likely to invest in, in the home. And if you help a woman, there are more positive outcomes associated at the household level um, as well. That is that uh, there have been a lot of good and thoughtful research done on that topic. Uh-huh. Uh, I do think there is one of the one of the most powerful forces on earth uh, is the mama bear. Uh, there is something about a mom who will move heaven and earth to provide for her kids that mm. he and I celebrate in in men as well. I want to be careful that we're not saying it's <laughs> it is no, in both. You're but good. there's something really powerful that I have seen and I have seen 
I have seen the power of, of women entrepreneurs, uh, no question, and how they invest in their kids. And literally, they will do whatever it takes uh, to make sure that their kids have, have, have a future, um, whatever it takes. Laurel, earlier you said that there's two things that make your um, marriage connection work. It's long walks and sex. Yes. So I, I am curious um, <laughs> for you. <laughs> I take notes. Come on. I'm, t- I'm over here taking notes. Um, honestly, a lot of people don't like to talk about the second thing that you said. But yet every relationship, it is an, a really important part of the relationship yep. and connection. Yep. So if you were sitting down with someone that really, this has not been a great portion of their marriage, mm-hmm. what advice would you have to kind of instigate connection in some way there? Or what advice might you give? Um, I see sex as the thermometer of marriage. So I would definitely encourage them to get working on that. Um, but I know also we can't, we can't do it (laughs) unless unless we are connected emotionally. Um, and so I think first to encourage that couple to just to sit and listen to each other and really listen without an agenda. And then the second thing is to have sex. I like it. Yeah. That's my answer, Jeff. Hey, why is everybody looking at me like I'm like some crazy creature? This is important. You're not. You're well, not. I have listened to your podcast and I do know this is a topic you tend to circle around. Yes. For the everybody record. Everybody knows it. Okay. For the record, whenever we're off recording, Andre circles around it all the time, but she never oh, brings it up. No, I mean, I talk about it with you all the time. No, you talk about it in general, but I'm the only <laughs> oh, one that yeah, ever yeah. actually brings it up on the conversation. With all my sister wives. I do talk about it. Thank you. But it. You definitely <laughs> always bring it up on podcasts. Yeah. We actually, we all know that, Jeff. We're interviewing a sex therapist <laughs> in a few weeks, which will a be interesting. A sex therapist is coming up. Yeah. So, oh, good. And which great. is important. Yeah. So he's very, I just mostly love that. talking about sex and mixed company because it makes my husband so uncomfortable. That's why, honestly, I really went directly for the question because I, I was staring it. here looking at Peter. Uh, Peter is just red and quiet <laughs> and. Hey, it's been great being on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> really appreciate it. All right. Well, we're at um, our time here to ask the last and final question. So do you think it is possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? Well, please don't look at me for that one. We need you both to answer this question. Yeah, because it could be different. Yeah. I would say yes, but it is not easy. There are so many reasons. There are so many issues that are going to pull you towards uh, points of contention. There's so many issues that are going to pull you away. The natural force is not over time to have a better marriage, to to have somehow the ability to, to love well, to work well, to raise a family well. Those things don't just happen. And so I think preparing yourselves for this is really important. In fact, I'd argue it's, it's hard to find anything more important than this. And because of that, it's going to take work, not just work out there, but work within the home. And it's that important. It's so worth it to roll up your sleeves and to figure out what does it look like to love really well? Yeah. 
And I think if the relationship is suffering, every definitely everything else suffers. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my simple, simple answer. That I think if you don't treat that with the most tenderness, um, everything else is, is not going to be your best. Hmm. When you, um, sorry, one other follow-up question. Earlier you mentioned about the idea of a resignation letter. I'd never heard of anybody doing that before. Um, this, the idea that, Hey, if this is, if it, if it loses track of what is priorities here, then I will turn this in. Um, that was a really powerful thought. It was kind of a, um, I don't know if I would have done that, honestly. Like I'm thinking like, would I, would I actually go through the process of writing that? And, um, anyway, I just wanted to say that that was really, um, challenging to me. So. Thanks for that example. And Jeff, when I wrote that resignation letter, I sealed it and I truly thought there was a legitimate chance that this was my resignation letter. This was an exercise of a what if. This was an exercise in I'm willing to right now. And and only on one or two occasions have you asked where the letter is now, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but for me, that was, that was really important. And, and again, this whole idea of, of vocation and calling, I am over the idea that I can only serve God by doing international development work. I, I am so over that. It is, I, I'm at peace to say, if I ever have to choose, I will work down the street in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, if that is what it means to love my wife well at this stage. And, and so that was beyond an exercise. That was, that was getting my head on straight of a hierarchy of loves and simply saying, I choose you. And now it's time for the breakdown. I already got teary eyed in another Podcasts. It's getting to be a consistent thing. This is kind of repetitious here going Do we need on. to get tissue in the studio? Yes, mm-hmm. I, we do. We really actually do. Um, I did get teary-eyed about his resignation letter. I mean, that part to me about how he could show his wife um, how serious he was about her being the most important. I think... It's very rare that there's a lot of talk and it's very rare that you see that come out in full on action. Like I'm a hundred percent willing to give it all up for you. Um, yeah, it got me, it got me like deep in my soul. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting question to ask yourself. Would, would I do this? Would you do this? Would you be willing to go so far as resigning from your job for the sake of your family? Yeah. And I think probably listeners have done it. I mean, in some form or another, right? Maybe women have given up their careers to be home with the family. Maybe men have given up their careers to be home with their family. Yes. But maybe what was working was not working anymore and something had to change. Mm. And so, um, but just that willingness to know that they were in a really rough spot in their marriage and he would do whatever it took. To make that right. Yeah. What else did you have? Um, well, you could definitely tell that they're very different people. 
And I loved that <laughs> because you and I are very different, as everybody knows. Uh, but I, I do love that he is now seeing, even though that they're so different, they have very complementary viewpoints. I thought that was really cool about how even though he's thinking about business and scaling and systems and models, she's thinking about people and one-on-one -on -one mm. and how you really can't build one without the other for it to be true and real and genuine. Um, and I love that he sees that now. I love that. It probably took a while, right? I mean, it takes a while to see that. Yeah. I, um, one of the quotes I wrote down was about their foster care. And oh yeah, that part was, I was good too. Really thinking about this premise, it's it's very selfless what Laurel said about if we are hurt when they leave, then we have done our job. And I was thinking about that, like this idea that they have care for children that come into their home for a season, and instead of looking at those kids as um, as seasonal, you know, like we don't, you know, and not getting fully emotionally attached to the situation there. I think the, the root of this response they have is like, no, this child is going to be in our home for this long and we're going to do everything we possibly can to love them in every possible way. We're going to go can. all in. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. How that's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. I also loved in the midst of that when the kids were, explaining to Peter that this was important basically yeah that he he doesn't like he he they were leading the family well and they're I like that. I love it too because they know what it feels like to be siblings so they were like no siblings need to stay together and I mean there's so much research that shows how important that is but like kids just intuitively felt it you know man I would love to see that short film <laughs> I I was thinking that I was like I'm visualizing I'm like this would be an that scene Jeff, would be an amazing a... and challenging scene to see a child that was risen, that was, that, was, that was raised up by the parents and see the children taking leadership of the family. I love it. I loved the quote too by Brian Stevenson when he was like, if you are going to do the dangerous work of loving others, it's going to hurt. Mm. And I think so much we tried to avoid hurt. We tried to you know, we really like push away from pain. We, you know, do all the things necessary to not feel it. And I think they're just leaning right into it and they're leaning into it with their kids and they're knowing that love is going to be painful at some times, you know, and I love that. Laurel said something about taking walks and sex. <laughs> and course. then, and listen, this is a transition because she took a little shot at me. She took a little shot at me. I picked because up on it. Because it's true. Because apparently I say things on the podcast that we encourage. We about this in the intro. That encourage intimacy within relationships. Now, I don't apologize for that. <laughs> but... I, I and I appreciate that she took note. She took note. She took a shot she at me. Knows. We all know. It's cool. I heard we you, Laurel. Know. I heard you. It's okay. But I, it's my transition to say, don't forget. <laughs> Go to loverwork.com and click give us a banner. question. Leave a question. Yeah. Click the banner. 
about as we have this incredible uh, woman come to join us, a sex therapist that can answer any. I mean, she is willing to answer any question. With I've listened to her podcast, and they go there. Oh, she goes there all the time. Yeah, if you think I hint at things, she goes literally goes all the way. <laughs> I can't believe you said it. I did say. It. Uh, oh, I think that's the end. It's a great of our ending. love or work podcast today. Can't wait to share and be in your uh, podcast stream next week. Have a good one. This episode was produced by DJ Obdiggy for Soul Graffiti Productions.